asset class. Uh, last time we spoke about the fact that that is very exciting because that particular asset, you know, that particular set of assets like IP that exists in the real world has historically and traditionally been quite illiquid. And in turning them into digital assets like NFTs, we're actually kind of taking them public in a way, right? And, yeah. and that is a big that is a big event. So that you was use yeah, the, the, you use this phrase "liquid intellectual property," which I love, right? Which is, you know, a, 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 you know, intellectual property means so many things in this world, obviously. And you know, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people may or may not remember Esther Dyson's, you know, seminal work in the early days of the internet, where you know she she you know the mantra was information wants to be free, and I think a lot of the ethos of the internet. Uh, really from that point and, and it, it leads to open publishing platforms, even one might even say net neutrality and, and, and broader concepts for this sort of open medium are anchored in historically the idea that information wants to be free and the internet fundamentally wants information to be free and everything should just be out in the public domain. And I think, um, you know, for 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 many people, they they've struggled with that and what that means. Um, if intellectual property essentially does that destroy intellectual property is is the other side of that. And and what does it mean to to um, to have intellectual property on the internet? Um, and we actually haven't had a way to you know in a, in a systemic way have intellectual property on the internet. At least you know we we have open source right, which is a very very specific form of, of intellectual property um, and creative commons and and the, the, this these all reflect this ethos of of uh, you know information wants to be free but now we're seeing that you know the the, the, you know, the creative people um, and that spans so many things right are realizing actually my my creative work has value how can I actually marry that value to the internet in a new way. And so this idea of liquid IP, I think is really, really powerful. Just just to maybe connect the dots to that earlier conversation we had and, and some of the writing you've already done, just for, for everyone who's who's kind of in attendance here, just, just reminder, you know, the, the kinds of things that are going to become NFTs that we, we kind of don't imagine as intellectual property that can be liquid on the internet today. Just maybe rattle off the, you know, the, the, I think you had a, a tweet storm with like 30 things, but whatever it would be interesting for people to hear. Right. Yeah. So, so just to recap a little bit, uh, and, and thanks Jeremy. Um, you know, we predominantly think about NFTs as digital art collectibles and in-game assets today. We're starting to see a little bit of music being issued as NFTs uh, we're starting to see um, some like generative art and like algorithms and a little bit of writing that's mirror. But if you think about kind of the long tail of um, digital content that could be tokenized, it's really very, very long. It includes stock photos. It includes 3D models. Uh, it includes, um, you know, metaverse assets. It includes plugins into Photoshop domain names, um, you know, and we could probably go on and on and on. Uh, and we didn't even mention, you know, kind of streaming video and, and audio and like the usual things that kind of live on centralized platforms today. Uh, you know, art is a two to three trillion dollar market today. God knows how big it's going to be after it's tokenized. 
but if you, I think if you sum up the long tail of, you know, the the, the least, the less, uh, or the more boring assets, let's say like fonts, uh, icons, right, all of that stuff, um, design assets. You know, I think altogether those things on decentralized marketplaces is a bigger market than our. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think you know, um, we we have you know essentially you know moments, right? We you know things like Top Shot are, are demonstrating like you're you're able to take uh, you know the the expression of something that's amazing that happens in the world and and turn that into liquid IP, um, which is when you think about the amount of content that gets created of that type associated with. With things that people have an emotional value attached to, or or um, or, or, or would be interested in, in possessing in some way, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty mind blowing. So, I mean, maybe it's billions of entities uh, over time easily. Yep. And, and and so I guess I guess to to take it a step further. So if we accept that thesis that you know we're dealing with a new financial asset class, um, then, then if we step back for a second and look at digital assets in blockchain. You know, we basically have this bifurcation into fungibles and non-fungibles. And traditionally, not traditionally, historically, you know, fungibles are very liquid. And the criticism of non-fungibles has been that they are very illiquid. So, so to challenge that first assumption a little bit, I mean, if you go back three or four years, uh, it was actually quite challenging to get a token to be liquid. Uh, for most founders, that looked like <clears throat> getting listed on a centralized exchange. That process, you know, usually spanned months and sometimes years. Uh, it sometimes involved multimillion-dollar payments to exchanges that wanted that kind of compensation for listing, especially at times like 2017 ICO boom. Um, and in fact, uh, liquidity wasn't that easy uh, to obtain for for tokens. Now, what ended up happening is that the market recognized this and created decentralized exchanges. And decentralized exchanges today serve $2 billion of daily volume. Uh, and together with liquidity mining programs, uh, they have brought down the time to liquidity of an ERC-20 token to basically zero, to basically a day or a week or something like that. Um, and so what we're... You know, in that progress, we're seeing essentially uh, mechanism design being applied to the like liquidity problem for fungibles. And the really funny thing about about that market is that at two billion dollars a day, we're still less than one and a half percent of general crypto uh, daily volume. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's tiny. It's tiny, and yet it's serving the entire long tail of, you know, of the DeFi tokens and of the really, like, decentralized stuff and the esoteric stuff. Um, and right. it's poised to, to take a much bigger chunk of that market. Now, when we go to the non-fungibles asset class, um, then the criticism has been, well, you know, these are very liquid assets. They're dangerous. You know, these marketplaces that they're on aren't really uh, doing a good job with liquidity. And sort of what my second article goes into, and in that article that you that you pointed out, Jeremy, that's called uh, Appraisal Games and the NFC Liquidity Problem, um, it's just pointing out that for non-fungibles, it is merely 
a mechanism design problem as well to solve the liquidity problem. It's just that it requires different mechanisms than right. fungibles. Right, right. And, and, and yeah, so let me pause now, there. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. I, I want to, you know, just for, for, for people here, you know, kind of like trace this through to, you know, a, a real world example of, you know, obviously the, the classes of, of NFTs that people are focused on today are things like crypto art. Obviously there's, there's, you know, sort of, you know, other forms of native you know, digital content. There's these creator, creative expressions, there's moments, there's in-game items, right? But, you know, maybe just talk about what's the problem that, you know, someone who um, has, you know, is trying to accomplish, someone who wants to buy one of these um, and is trying to figure out, like, what should I pay for it? And then someone who has one and, and potentially says, you know, I think this is really valuable. And is there a way for me to generate other financial value from the asset that I hold, which is what people do with, you know, stocks that they own or houses that they own or, or other uh you know, stocks and houses are non-fungible tokens too. Um, so um, they're non-fungibles in, in, in terms of the, what, what, what in fact they are. And, you know, just maybe just, again, just like connect to, you know, a couple of, of real, real world examples here that I think um, you know, people, people can connect to. Yeah, well, I think, I think a really disruptive example, uh, and, and as you pointed out, there, there's two sides of this, right? There's the supply side. I'm the creator. I'm creating NFTs. And there's sort of the demand side. I'm the, the buyer of NFTs, the investor, the collector, whatever you know, whatever it may be. I think the really disruptive use cases um, when you can say, listen, uh, a creator has created a work of art, and they can deposit this work of art into a smart contract, um, and really, like without a counterparty, they can withdraw liquidity. Uh, I mean, like that's. <laughs> It's incredibly powerful, right? That is incredibly powerful. Uh, I mean, it's it's disruptive. It's not just powerful. It's disruptive, right? Because we often think of art in a traditional sense being like very expensive. And this will surely bring down some of the price points of art. Um, so on the one hand, it creates hey, this mechanism. Just welcoming Sean. Hey, welcome. Yep. So, so on the one hand, it creates... Um, you know, this completely incredible ability to turn creative content into cash. And on the other hand, it brings down the, the price point of that, um, you know, of those, of those assets over time. Right. Um, on, the, on, on the demand side, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, like uh, maybe we want just to understand pricing better, right? Like we want to know as investors, like how do we, how much should we pay for, for NFTs? Um, and also, we want exposure in ways that uh, that are hard to get today, right? So today, if you, you know, I get this question seven times a day from from folks looking at the NFT space, like, how do we participate? Uh, and you know, as an investor, it's quite hard to go NFT by NFT and try to predict what's going to be big later, and you know, who's a talented artist, and uh, what's going to sell later, what's going to be a big brand, and really, what investors probably want are some kind of uh, index fund uh, exposure vehicles. That's now becoming possible with things like fractionalization, um, you know, with, with funds, 
uh, on chain that hold NFTs and things like that. And so we're not creating vehicles where investors can easily invest into the space and the space can benefit from that from that capital. So that's another really important aspect of the financialization of this. Yeah, so there's a, a lot of pieces here. There's price discovery, there's fractionalization, there's, you know, uh, the, the ability to to you know essentially you know borrow against assets that I have um, you know uh, so so a lot of those there uh, I, I want to welcome Sean into the conversation and I know Sean is going to bring um, I think a really different lens here um, Sean as as many of you know is co-founder of Circle and we've been talking a lot about NFTs lately and um, I, I think you know the 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 theme maybe I could have you comment on Sean is um, you know. The, the the really this concept of this new model of monetization for creators and create and creatives and what does that look like for uh, you know for creators and creatives and um, and then we can I think we'll connect the dots here because that they are ultimately related because you are creating these markets for creativity that are quite different um, but maybe maybe uh, just kind of ladder it over to you here Sean and and hear some of your high level thoughts. You're muted. Hello. All right. I'll text Sean and uh, see if he can unmute. Um, uh, all right. Well, well, we'll we'll come back in a second on that, um, and uh, and come back to you, Jake. Um, so maybe, maybe we can take some of those actual use cases. Oh, there you are, Sean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, too many, too many microphones running at the same time. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Did you hear my? <laughs> did you hear my? Uh, my kind of. Uh, yeah, I did. Yes, yeah, sure. And I heard. Um, I heard the tail. I sorry, I came in a little late here. I heard the tail end of what Jake was saying. I, I think it. Um, you know, it, it's worth returning to um, how you look at this as an investor as well, because it's, it's increasingly tricky, and there, um, there are obviously emerging tools and mechanisms that are pretty interesting but it's a it's a lot to make sense of but on the the creator side of things um yeah that's that's an area that i've been looking at pretty closely um and i guess represents a little bit of a personal light bulb moment for me that i had a few months ago on this um which was is related to um you know this this concept of actually owning a piece of Owning a piece of digital content um, as opposed to subscribing to or following or somehow acquiring access to uh, a gateway into the content. So, you know, it's not a ticket to view an experience. It's not a subscription to access written content or uh, to stream it. It's the ability to own a, a digital thing and, and that concept of ownership and then also secondarily provenance and the history um, or you know, quote unquote, legitimacy of a piece of content um, is just something that is not has not been possible before with any kind of digital goods. And and I think it obviously changes things for creators, um, as there are obviously a ton of high profile experiments in that in that space right now um, that are happening. But I think it it really transforms things for um, for content creators who are also consumers of other kinds of content. Um, and and that's you know fans it's it's followers um, it's audiences, but my particular area of interest is audience that audiences that consist of other content creators whether they're you know streamers gamers, um, digital artists musicians whatever, um, 
in the kind of convergence of ownership with with um, with with finance and uh, you know how all these things sort of fit together. So um, so that's sort of the area that I've been thinking of and what this. I mean, there's lots of examples. The the difficult thing about talking about content is and trying to explain it to others. A lot of the examples can seem a little bit trivial. Um, you know, and uh, the underlying sort of expression of the origination and the ownership uh, is is powerful, but doesn't necessarily resonate with with just everyone. You know, I can say, I can give a simple example, like I can walk into a museum and take a picture of the Mona Lisa, and I can digitally distribute that anywhere online. I can put it anywhere I want. I can hang it in my house, and um, but everyone knows I don't actually own the Mona Lisa. I can't legitimately sell it uh, unless I'm particularly clever um i can't really sell it um but not everybody would want to own uh, have that sense of ownership in the first place so it doesn't necessarily resonate with them but for those who do um who do place value in the concept of ownership and the things you can do with ownership and pulling pulling things into um you know collateral um but also participating in uh upside uh you know sort of future revenue streams attached to owner, owner ownership and provenance is just something that is just new uh, in this space. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I guess like when we talk about financialization, there's sort of, this is like, you know, fundamentally a new way to monetize creativity, which is, which is powerful. I think, you know, you you know, you can imagine, and, and this Jake was talking about this at the start, which is, you know, pe- people who you know have have tried to create liquidity for fungibles, you know that that historically had a problem, and now, you know, obviously, you know, decentralized exchange and liquidity pools and automated market makers and other things are are making that easier to bootstrap liquidity on things. But with NFTs, you can imagine a world where you know effectively, you know, pe- people are are issuing you know uh, you know f- fungible tokens to finance the creation of non fungible tokens. Uh, and then, you know, you know, sort of like, um, you know, Kickstarter, right? And then you get the fun, you get the non-fungible token. It's like a pre-order. And then, you know, you're, you're then, you know, participating in ownership, but, but then there's obviously down, down the line, the other, you know, f- other forms of financialization that can happen once it exists as property, you know, in, in this digital realm. Um, so it, it's a lot of interesting co- connection points there. Um, Jake, maybe just to connect back to you on, 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 you know, kind of taking some of those simple examples and then maybe bringing them to life. Um, right. you know, yeah, you know, yeah, go ahead. Right. So, so maybe just to, to, to go back to the thesis of the, of the article, uh, which really deals with, um, you know, if, if NFTs are a new financial asset class, uh, then we're going to need sort of financial primitives, uh, and services for for that asset class, and what does that look like? What does that start with? And I think what that starts with is this like problem of liquidity, and then that problem has seemed historically very hard. And and the, I, can, I guess the main question that the that the piece tries to address is, well, how do we solve that problem? What are the actual mechanisms available to create an NFT liquidity? And we see a few mechanisms in the market today, right? So like the basic way of Creating a pricing for an NFT is to sell it in the marketplace, like OpenSea or Rarible uh, or, or something similar. Uh, and that's, you know, that's great. But what we see is that if you restrict yourself to only pricing NFTs this way, uh, you know, it's hard. You need like a really 
a critical mass of, of buyers and sellers that historically hasn't been there. You don't get like a ton of sales. They're going up. But, you know, there's like a long tail of assets that, that never sold. Uh, and so you don't know what their prices might be. Um, the other way is auctions. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the on-chain data, you will find that something like 80 to 90 percent of people who transact in kind of the existing marketplaces like Super Air uh, today will prefer the auction format. Um, auctions are probably preferred by creators because they tend to be exuberant. They maximize the return that the creators make. Um, and they also end up creating a price. So, what, you know, but what makes a great mechanism for, you know, for, for creating liquidity? And I argue that what makes a great mechanism is capital efficiency. What does that mean? Well, if I'm selling an NFT worth a million dollars and someone buys that NFT for a million dollars, that kind of means that, like, for every dollar of valuation that we created, a dollar had to change hands. Um, and if you bring that into the auction context, it means, like, for every dollar of valuation that is created, one or more people bid on that, right? And so potentially more than a dollar had to treat, uh, change hands and, and, and even be locked into the auction mechanism for a while. Uh, in order to create that valuation. And so the question is, do we have mechanisms that are more efficient than that, where I can price something at a million dollars, but in doing so, um, I don't spend a million dollars. I maybe spend a hundred dollars. And the answer is yes, there's, there's a bunch of different mechanisms. Um, kind of the most obvious one is, we'll create a, uh, a machine learning algorithm that goes around and you know, machine learns all of the traits of crypto kitties and all of the properties of crypto punks, uh, and then compares that to um, how they sold on the market, and then creates a, a model that can automatically price these collectibles. And then the cost of that mechanism is the cost of you know creating and maintaining the model, which is really kind of a fixed cost. And then the valuations that it can create are infinite. And so the efficiency goes up. The capital efficiency goes up over time, gets amortized over that cost. Um, and that's a great approach. And I think a few people are doing that in the space. Uh, and the problem with that approach is we kind of, it, it seems like it would probably work quite well for really objectively valued things like collectibles. But it would probably not work that well for really subjectively valued things like art. And so there's another mechanism, which is fractionalization. This is also an example of a mechanism that can value something at $100 million, but only a few dollars need to change hands in order to create that valuation. And that's because the NFT becomes sharded into a number of tokens, and only a few tokens have to change hands to like imply a valuation. And so... Fractionalization is a really capital efficient uh, mechanism for, for pricing NFTs, but it's also like really heavy machinery. Like if you have, if you think about like all the objects that we uh, have sort of counted as belonging to the NFT asset class, we're talking about trillions of objects. And some of those objects cost $5. And 
it's probably not that capital efficient at the end of the day to create a token supply for every one of those trillion objects and a cult community around it. Um, and fractionalization also comes with a bunch of complexity in terms of sort of mutual ownership of the things. So, for example, you know, no one really talks about what happens if you take 51% of the tokens of the fractionalized asset you know, and burn them. Does that mean that the asset is now worth zero because you can't move it and you can't vote on it anymore? Um, you know, no one talks about how to unfractionalize a fractionalized asset. It seems to be sort of like a one-way street unless you take extraordinary efforts to design, you know, the, the governance system to like undo that. And you still have a edge condition where maybe you won't be able to. And so when I think about fractionalization, I think about that makes sense in a context where, like CryptoPunks, right, where the assets are really valuable and it makes a ton of sense for like 20,000 people to own them at the same time. But that mechanism doesn't work well for things that are $5 in the long term. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it does. And I, I think, you know, for, for, for a lot of folks, like, you know, some of this is, is sort of feels like, you know, there's just like these intensely, you know, sort of speculative markets for, you know, icon creators and, you know, how do you game that and how do you price that? And, you know, it's sort of this intense, in, 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 in sort of intense in, in speculation kind of thing. And when people think of like derivatives and, and now we, we're going to have, you know, derivatives for price discovery on, on, you know, icon creation. Like I think for, for a lot of people, they have a hard time sort of relating to that. And, and so part of me, what, what I'm interested in, in drawing out here and, and I love Sean's take on this as well is like, how do we get out of the like, Oh yeah, there's like all these like, you know, really cool, like icon things and, and crypto art things and, and really, you know, stepping back and saying, what are going to be NFTs what are going to be mainstream NFTs um, that the average person is going to have that, that you know, are, are going to be in the world in a year or two years? And then how these fundamental financial mechanisms are going to improve the process of, of discovering, finding, owning and, and, and participating in, in those markets. And because, um, you know, I, I think for, for, for a lot of folks, I think they they, you know, they, they sort of struggle with like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying about machine learning on, on CryptoPunks, uh, you know, icons, but that isn't very relatable to what this looks like at scale when we are talking about the number of digital content objects that, that might move into this kind of realm. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and so, well, that kind of brings me to sort of the, the next mechanism that, that I talk about, um, which is creating pricing through oracles. And uh, in yep. particular, I talk about Upshot. I think I, I saw Nick Emmons, who is the CEO of Upshot, in the room. So, hey, Nick, if you're there. Um, but the idea is that um, Upshot is a really interesting protocol, which is an on-chain question-answer protocol, which incentivizes the, uh, you know, the, the, the people who answer the questions to answer questions honestly. Mm -hmm. And... The really interesting application of such a protocol in the NFT space is basically asking the protocol, what do you think uh, this NFT is worth? And sort of finding in an on-chain way uh, a kind of like 
educated consensus around the price. It doesn't have to be you know, the exact prediction of the price. It doesn't have to be uh, the price at which the creator necessarily sells the work, but it is, you know, kind of an estimate of what um, mm-hmm. of what the market would value it at. And it's coming from the estimation of, you know, essentially experts who are incentivized to do a little bit of work to figure out what that pricing would be. So they might compare like Beeple and, you know, another creator and note that, um, you know, Beeple sold work for millions of dollars and that might impact, you know, that final estimate. Now, when we have the on-chain Oracle pricing, I mean, what essentially we can then do is we can tokenize it and sell it now, right? And, and, and that basically creates liquidity um, for the long tail of NFT. So when I think about capital efficient price discovery mechanisms, I think machine learning, you know, will have a little bit of a, uh, a place. I, I think the really high value publicly owned stuff like CryptoPunks will be likely fractionalized into your C20s, and that makes sense. I think the long tail of assets in NFT space that are very cheap and like, you know, don't warrant a, a full token supply can be priced through oracles. And those oracles can create, you know, essentially um, some kind of like average pricing, right, at which you could always like liquidate this portfolio. Um, and then there might be other mechanisms like we've been seeing uh, essentially bonding curves applied to NFTs. Uh, I think Euler Beats was, was an example of that. There's a few others. Um, and I'm not, so the advantage of, of that mechanism is that I think people can kind of, the, the creators can kind of control the rate of appreciation uh, of that curve, of that bonding curve. Um, but it remains to be seen if, if that's going to be like a widely used mechanism. I'm super bullish on fractionalization and Oracle pricing, uh, kind of for the majority of cases. Yeah. So Sean, just asking you as someone who's thinking about this really from the creator's perspective and, you know, uh, and communities of creators and, you know, you know, people who are, who are not focused on like trying to design, like, you know, speculative items, but really who are really just focused on monetizing creativity, um, and, and and what that looks like, you know, how do you think about, you know, things like price discovery, fractionalization um, and a, a, appraisal models, uh, you know, sort of oracleized appraisal models, things like that in, in relation to, you know, what what someone who is 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 really just really trying to do is just find a, a, a new model of monetization. Yeah, I mean, I think the. the this sort of peer prediction oracle model is super interesting um and there can be you know multiple variations of that so i think that's relevant i mean from a creator perspective or, or even from a from a sort of creator slash um consumer investor perspective um my my instinct is just that this whole you know this whole ecosystem is just going to be way too big to to make it effective to sort of pick individual assets, um, at least as a generalist, unless you know something very deeply about a particular community or, or about a particular creator. And so, you know, pursuing other options is just is going to be necessary as this grows. Um, because, you know, the, it's just this whole thing is <clears throat> the the, um, the Internet and this particular technology has just been so effective at taking illiquid, formerly illiquid assets and then suddenly making them 
enormously liquid. And Sam Lesson uh, wrote a little bit about this recently. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, there's a number of different ways to, to go um, in sort of creator, but still some of the some of the most obvious problems are just in how you how you interact with this. Um, you know, creators <coughs> creators are um, able to take uh, take advantage of platforms like Twitch and you know others to sort of circumvent the Spotify like models. They don't you know, they no longer need several million you know monthly streams, uh, thirty seconds or more. Uh, if you're as a musician to to make a living, they could have an audience of very loyal followers. The number in the hundreds and and make a living. They need to churn out an enormous amount of content to do that. Um, uh, but they sort of you know cut out a lot of middlemen, and cutting out middlemen just means that the creators end up taking on more of those business functions themselves. It doesn't mean that the business function ceases to exist. So things like um, packaging, marketing, um, you know, uh, community interaction, all that sort of falls on the creator. So when it comes to to uh, digitizing ownership. Of experiences, whether that's that's uh, you know a limited concert, uh, you know a hundred uh, pieces of ownership of a concert that is you know a bootleg concert that can be subsequently traded, or or you know some other kind of uh, you know piece of art. The tooling around how that works and and how uh, you know what that feels like from a creator perspective and from from a follower perspective, assembling essentially a portfolio of uh, creative objects that hopefully generate dividends, um, which is kind of what happens when you're when you're a follower accumulating these experiences. The tools and the experiences and what the products really look like is just, it's not there yet. It's, it's you know, sort of a, um, a, a group of uh, plugins, multiple chain options, different open marketplaces, a few, you know, sort of white label branded experiences as well. But uh, there's just, there are a lot of, great early experiments happening but from a creator perspective that tool set that acknowledges i am a i am running a business as a solo creator and i have a direct interaction uh with my fans and audience and i need the tools to make all of that work uh, effectively that that sort of piece isn't there so whether you do that as investment in nft infrastructure um or just uh, tools and and um, other parts of the ecosystem that's another in you know, a sort of area i think that um, will get fleshed out over these coming months. Yeah, and there's a hu huge amount to build, <clears throat> obviously, um, on on those fronts. I, I want to maybe just just turn this one other direction and and get both of your thoughts on this, which is, I you know, as we started about at the top here, when when most of the time when we're talking about NFTs, we're talking about, as noted, this sort of liquid intellectual property that can exist as digital content items uh, that are that are you know on on uh, on the internet on blockchains etc but obviously the the concept of a non-fungible token extends you know well outside of purely digital objects and into physical objects and 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 also into even um, access to say underlying royalty streams underlying um, you know, yield uh, from um, you know, you know, someone who's producing something, um, and I I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the crossover between the physical world and NFTs, and it, it very much relates to the financialization of NFTs because if you can build these really, really robust long tail capital market functions for NFTs at the digital content item level, 
um, you know, you, you also obviously are really fundamentally building the same underlying market infrastructure for NFTs that have to do with physical, you know, physical objects, uh, uh, as well as, you know, even concepts like, yeah, there's a a landowner in a country that wants to you know sell NFTs that are essentially uh, profits from the 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 yield of the land, as it were, just in a really really simple example. And that's a form of non fungible token. Um, and those types of financial assets uh, that also are going to need to participate in long tail capital markets that are also going to need to have these various forms of price discovery. And people are going to want to have you know, index allocators and other things to be able to, you know, have those as part of their quote unquote portfolio. Um, I, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that kind of crossover that's outside of the pure, purely created in a digital form, uh, you know, kinds of NFTs. Uh, happy to go or Sean, if you want to, if you want to hop in, um, uh, no, go for it. I'll, I'll hop in in a, in a second. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Jeremy. I, I think you I think you covered it um, kind of the high level, which is that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the infrastructure that is being built out for, you know, NFTs is kind of an abstract uh, asset, right? Can then very well be applied to, to real estate um, or uh, car ownership or, you know, any number of sort of like physical tokenizations of, of, of real world goods. Why are we not seeing that? Well, I, I just think that the digital side of things is a lower hanging fruit. Sure. And it is also a, um, you know, a very interesting, interestingly compatible sort of space with blockchain, right? Because I always think of, you know, digital art as being quite ethereal and never, never, never sure where the artwork actually is right like is it is it in your email is it in your is it on twitter uh all those seem to be reproductions of of digital works but not actually the work itself and so when you put that on a blockchain you create you know that certificate of authenticity uh or even like the localization of 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 that work in the sense of like you found it okay it lives on the blockchain that's the handle to it. I can take that handle and, and transfer it to someone else. And that right. It's, it. right. It's, it's a demarcation of property and provenance. And, and those are like these fundamental things. And if it's entirely digital an entirely digital property ownership model, right, that's, as you said, it's low hanging fruit. It's easier to, to kind of get, get to. And it actually ties to a lot of like this billions of different digital content objects that are out there today. And so there's a clear mapping there. Right. Um, but there's, there, there's, you know, one could argue that there's far more digital content items than physical things in the world. Right. But there's, but there's an awful lot of physical things in the world that people value. Um, oh yeah. I was just, I was just saying on the, on the morning meeting at, at CoinFund this morning, I'm like, everyone is kind of obsessed with, you know, NFTs right now and, and DeFi. But if you want to start the contrarian crypto fund of, of this particular moment, uh, you should start the, you know, security token real estate crypto fund, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the thing that like nobody's thinking about that's coming next, which is you know essentially the tokenization and um, NFTization yeah. of, uh, of physical goods. Well, and and you know uh, obviously equity 
itself, right? Equity, you know, pe- people could say, well, there's, you know, there's this sort of fungible tokens. Um, and then there's sort of, you know, fungible tokens that are scarce that are, are out there, governance tokens, um, et cetera. But like equity is a, is a form of non-fungible token. Um, you know, you have X thousand shares or X million shares and they represent a profit sharing contract, um, you know, in the form of dividends and voting and the like. And, um, you know, that, that, that is just a financialization of the, the work output of a collection of labor. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the interesting question for me is when do we start seeing more NFTs that are equity-like that are not themselves equity? They are not actually, you know, there's not like a Delaware LLC necessarily, although with open law and things like that, you're seeing this kind of mapping that's there. But, um, uh, you know, and NFTs as things that people can own and participate in, just like you'd say, like a fractionalized piece of crypto art is something that you can have ownership in and, and it may go and it may grow in value. It doesn't quite produce cash flows. Um, but, um, you know, you know, it's sort of proper property and equity are, are both really big forms of NFTs. <laughs> I mean, basically, there, you know, if you count up the equity in the world and count up the property in the world and the financialization of property, right? I don't know how many gazillions of trillions of dollars that is, but it's a lot. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily go to the extent that you just, we can see absolutely everything as an NFT. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, if you, if you want to do it as a thought exercise, you know, when it comes to things like real world uh, items um, where there's, you know, it, some barriers, whether geophysical or regulatory or whatever to the actual transfer of the item. Um, the way that I have sort of thought of it in the past is really, you know, it's just, it's kind of another version of storage. I mean, you have an NFT, um, there's some metadata references to, to media or, you know, or, or other items that are sitting in, in the AWS S3 bucket or they're in IPFS or they're, you know, they're stored, um, not necessarily on a chain. They're sort of stored elsewhere. The physical thing is like it's, it's storage bucket is, uh, some plot on earth <laughs> and, and, um, you know, right. it's, 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 you know, so it's sort of like a, you know, there's a storage issue there. Um, the, the question around equity though is, is a tricky one. I know you and I have said uh, a few times, um, that it'd be cool if when we started circle, um, we could have just figured out how to, uh, have it, a, you know, been a fully, uh, tokenized autonomous organization back yes. in 20, 2013. That was not, uh, it was really not a thing that was possible. So um, yeah. I understand, you know, where where you're going, uh, where you're going with that. Um, from from me, I like the the idea of not stepping into all the, you know, the the regulatory hassle of uh, securities and sticking with content because there hasn't been enough solved in that area yet. <laughs> for me, yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. I mean, content. Is the lifeblood of the internet for many, for in many, many ways. It's, I mean, lots of other things too. But, but you know, uh, inverting the monetization model on that and and creating financialization of that are are profound. And those are also like these multi hundred billion dollar huge opportunities that actually we're opening up new new outlets there. Um, we have a little bit of time here, and so I thought I'd invite people to ask questions. Um, and so anyone who has a question, put your you can raise your hand, and, and we'll try and get you through. But um, Angie, um, thanks for, for joining us. We'd love to hear your question. 
Yeah, thank you so much. So it's so funny. I had a call today with a, um, so I come at this, uh, the NFT market from a video game perspective. Um, and I've been really excited about NFTs basically since they started. Uh, and I had a real estate investor today call me and say, and ask, why hasn't this taken off? Like we all read those articles in the New York Times about how downtown properties were going to be fractionalized and sold or and traded for Brooklyn and and um, and what you said, Jake, makes so much sense. And and I, I don't I just don't know the answer to that. I mean, there's a game called Upland that I've been playing where you can actually buy properties in New York City and or all over the country. And some of these buildings are trading at like two hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars in the game. But we haven't seen it in real life. And, and I just don't know if we're just not there yet. But I, I love all your thoughts. Well, we can all probably blame Jay Clayton for for uh, for that not actually not actually happening, and and hopefully a, a, a more creative, inspired, and technically competent head of the SEC will uh, will lead the way here. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think we literally we, we didn't we didn't even have a legal basis at the SEC uh, to do this kind of stuff until the end of December of last year. So I think um, there, there actually now is a legal basis for you know people who are involved in you know securities in a sense to have fully digital renditions that can be on blockchains. The SEC cleared that, um, or you know, to some degree. And so I, I'm actually cautiously optimistic that this year we're going to start seeing a lot more activity there, um, and that will grow over time. There certainly are regulators in other markets that have been more progressive, but certainly here in the United States, there was basically a, a giant block on anything under the under the supervision of Jay Clayton. That's just my quick quick take on, on, on that. Hey, Angie, great to see you. Um, thanks for your question. And, and yeah, I totally agree, Jeremy. I, I think part of it is just the, the kind of re regulatory compliance piece. But I would say also the following, you know, I'm super excited about the, uh, you know, the real estate use case. And, uh, you know, I'm not particularly biased whether it happens through you know, security tokens or some other mechanism. But I'll tell you this, I sat down at a platform which tokenized REITs uh, like last year um, and realize that as a crypto investor, I'm totally unequipped to evaluate a REIT investment. And right. um, a REIT investor is totally unequipped to evaluate whether the blockchain technology that the offering is on is good or trustworthy. And and so I, I do see that there's a, a bit of like product market mismatch going on uh, there too. And, and it sort of depends on what use cases, you know, you, you want to put the technology toward. I was just going to say these guys were very successful REIT investors. So that's so funny because they they had no idea kind of some of the things that I was talking about uh, with respect to art and gaming, non-fungible tokens. Um, but they could definitely see it. And sorry, I have a puppy here. Um, they could definitely see it in um, in REITs. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, Pine, uh I hope I have your, your pronunciation right. Um, welcome, and we'd love to hear your question, too. Yeah, thanks for this discussion. Um, I'm coming from a really remedial place, so let me just ask you kind of like a basic question. Let's say I created a piece of, um, you know, like a, like, a, like a photo that, you know, that, that's used a lot and everything. And how do I generate the NFT out of it? Do I bring it into a marketplace? And then there's a whole bunch of people buying just a little piece of it. Or is it just one person that owns it, and could they make money off of it once they own it? Or how is it different than a copyright? I'm still trying to get my head around exactly what we're doing. Yeah, uh, Sean or Jake, do you guys uh, you guys want to take a crack at that? 
Totally. Uh, or go ahead, Sean. Um, yeah, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm probably going to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, I would say to, to create the NFT, um, you'd probably want to head over to some kind of platform uh, that issues NFTs. Um, there's a few of them that are open to every anyone and everyone. Uh, the one that I'm partial to is rareable.com. That's that's our investment at CoinFund. I'm super excited about what they're doing. Um, and then to fractionalize uh, such an NFT once you have it, uh, you can use something like niftex.com or, uh, you know, in some cases you can use nftx.org, which is like funds uh, for classes of such collectibles. Um, and there might be other tools and that are functionally similar to those I said. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this, uh, you know, as it is today, right, you have some, these are sort of early examples. I remember back in the you know, early days of the internet, right, the, the number of kind of e-commerce marketplaces, if you had a product you wanted to sell, right, obviously it's things like eBay, you know, took off and then Amazon Marketplace and others, but there are tons of those. And we're, we're like, you know, we're in the, you know, 1996, 1997 of, of, uh, of, of these NFT marketplaces. And, but I think it, it, obviously there's billions of people on the internet now, and, and this is you know, technology that is, is, is really valuable. I think it will grow so quite fast. Around it. It. How does this give them the copyright? Um, yeah. So it dep- if your platform that you're tokenizing on supports, and most of them today do not, just to be clear, um, but I imagine, like, in short order, we'll be supporting uh, kind of the idea that as a creator, you sort of choose which uh, property rights you confer to the buyer. And so that might look like a T- TOS or terms of service at time of tokenization. Um, but but today, you kind of like, def- I would say, like, probably default copyright laws apply. Yeah, there's some, there's some services that um, they're experimenting with. Um, you know, if like um, splitting up, say, in music sync rights, um, again, you know, other kinds of uh, licensing, um, um, songwriter rights, how do you, you know, sort of deal with all that? Um, but for the most part, it's pretty rudimentary. And I think like Jeremy and Jake said, the, the marketplace experiences are also pretty nascent. I mean, things like OpenSea and they, they sort of look like almost like an early eBay, although some are a little more specialized. Um, there's, you know, the valuable stuff, which is doing the, the uh, Genesis tweets that have been getting a lot of attention lately. So some of the marketplaces are, I guess, a little more specialized. But for the most part, it looks pretty nascent. If you go to things like, you know, OpenSea.io or, or Mintbase or something like that, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not um, I'm not recommending one over the other. But there are a bunch out there, and you can kind of see how you might mint some of your own content. And they all have slightly different treatment of, of – um, things like rights, but they're ultimately pretty rudimentary and then ways of getting them into a marketplace. Um, so, I mean, the, the easiest thing to do is actually just to just to kind of go do it and experiment with it and not necessarily go into it as an investor uh, or thinking that you're going to generate a lot of money, but just as an experiment to see how it works. I'd say overall for most, uh, most content creators and consumers, uh, which are, you know, by and large the same people in, in some of these audiences, it's a pretty awful experience, um, you know, because it's so early. But obviously, that presents pretty exciting opportunities. Um, and and then there's also the gaming side, which is I would say a little bit more mature because uh, just because of the history of how this this stuff came together. 
Yeah. Um, just to open it up to Sardor, uh, thanks for joining. We'd love to hear what your uh, question is or your thoughts. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jeremy and Jake. Uh, real great conversations. Uh, I wanted to just uh, talk about the real estate applications of it. Jake, you mentioned that. Um, well, let's, let's just preface this with assuming all regulations will eventually be solved about this. Uh, what do you see as some of the features in DeFi, like, for example, liquidity mining, or the, the applications of some bonding curves to you know entice uh, early adopters. What if that is applied to, for example, uh, real estate projects, like a neighborhood development project where a specific asset is uh, being built on a corner and the local stakeholders that live around their neighbors are able to all kind of commit their liquidity, give their liquidity, provide their liquidity towards this um, project, right? And then it gets built. And as they're providing the liquidity, all those same stakeholders are earning equity tokens or governance tokens in the neighborhood development fund, so to speak. Um, you know, we, we, we have a, a property down in, in, in downtown Memphis. I've been in this uh, for just three, four years. Um, so, I've been, I've been trying to talk to some attorneys here, here in Memphis, and you know, they're, they're all looking at us like we're crazy. But I know this is possible, at least with from a technical perspective. But Realty is doing some amazing things just from a fractionalization of of, uh, of uh, equity, and just I just see so much being built on top of that in the real world. Just basically applying the DeFi locally. So, like local DeFi. Just... Yeah, no, it's uh, there, there, there's there's uh, there's a lot uh, a lot of possibility there, and I think as we were kind of talking about earlier, I mean, I think up until really recently, the 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 sort of oh, the the kind of legal questions of how do you take something that is uh, you know uh, you know what would be considered a, a security um, in the United States and tokenize it and offer it uh, on these infrastructures that that's been really difficult to do um, for a host of reasons. But I, I, I feel like you know, things are starting to open up and, and then a lot of what is happening with NFTs and DeFi can can start to get applied to, to that kind of property. But I don't know if uh, Jake or Sean, you have other thoughts on this. I think I think you guys covered it quite well. And, and that, that's a brilliant use case. Um, you know, I, once the sort of rails get figured out and the regulatory gets figured out. I, I see the, the primary applications as being like, you know, better crowdfunding and, and co-ownership of, of real estate, which is really exciting. Um, but also like a ton of efficiency in terms of, um, you know, buying and selling your house and also building a portfolio of real estate, like, you know, go long Manhattan and short Brooklyn. Like a lot of, a lot of those things will, uh, will be much easier using digital assets. Yeah, so uh, cautiously optimistic that we're we're going to see some some of those things you know opening up. I, I know we, we've some we've seen sort of digital securities projects um, start to really get on the radar um, at Circle, and people are using stable coins with digital securities. And I think we're seeing you know we're we're seeing more of those come down the pipe. So so cautiously optimistic. Um, Archon, thanks for joining. Would love to hear your thoughts or question. Hi, this is Lord Vader. 
creator of the Sith Empire. I would like to ask this question anonymously. Do you think characters like me, with a voice like mine, and a face like mine, you know, verifying uh, uh, sort of you know proof of provenance and origination, and um, there's obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of fakes, a lot of a lot of copies and things that are out there in the marketplace, um, and it kind of stretches to the previous conversation, which is how do you if you have a if you have a technical system that's capable of enforcing logic among parties that don't trust each other. Uh, in the form of smart contracts or so-called smart contracts, then how long will it take before courts recognize those same contracts uh, as opposed to just contracts written in English? I mean, that's still kind of one of the fundamental problems um, that, that we need uh, that we need solved. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sean, Jeremy, and Jake. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank, 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 you. Thank, thank, thanks for coming up. Um, Sasha. Uh, hi. I have a, I guess, kind of a low-level practical question. So I think one of you, I can't remember which one it was, talked about comparing NFT ownership to sort of what we do now where we get a subscription to a platform to have access to content. But I'm wondering, like, what does it actually look like, uh, the, the NFT scenario? Like, are we talking about some front end that you can only access if you're if you're a partial owner of some NFT? Like, what does this look like practically? Like, let's say um, uh, an NFT for a song or something. Sean, do you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, I think there can be a lot of different product uh, experiences that are created around it. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the early experiments that I've seen have been almost kind of like a Patreon-like model where, you know, Patreon today, um, I can I can follow artists, uh, musicians, whoever that I care about. And with some subscription fee, I can get access to additional content. Um, and so the early experiments I've seen have kind of been along those lines, where instead of a, of a, an, of a UI that allows me to pay a subscription fee, there's a UI that grants me access to um, to to content data based on my ownership of of uh, um, of the NFTs of the actual content that shows that I'm a, uh, actually NFTs that show I'm an owner of this content. Um, other experiments are uh, are essentially like placeholders for future content, so that I you know I buy a piece of a of a concert um, that hasn't uh, hasn't occurred yet. Um, but I put my money in to be one of the 10,000 people who are able to access this live stream con concert or something um, and uh, or album release or whatever it is. So it's sort of a placeholder for future content that I'm able to access before others are. Um, so those are some of the exper experiments around this. But, you know, what the product experience looks like for us as a consumer, does it really does it look like a, a Twitch or, or a TikTok or a YouTube or Patreon, and what does it look like as a content creator, uh, and how does it tie into the fact that I, as a content creator, need to run a business? You know, I have Square. Um, you know, what, is, what does it sort of look like from a tooling perspective, and then uh, and then the underlying infrastructure between those two things, where things really persisted, um, how does this cross chains, all this sort of infrastructure stuff that I, as a creator or as a consumer, don't really want to have to think about, that needs to function. Um, you know, we we need those things addressed as well, and that. A piece of experience is just as well. 
Yeah, and just to emphasize too, I mean, I think p- part of the fundamental concept of NFTs is the portability and the interoperability, and that's the the foundational concept that the blockchain you know gives us and the internet. I mean, but but ultimately, if these are just like siloed and stuck inside of you know private walled gardens, you know, you're not really doing anything to actually create ownership. The ownership does need to persist, and it needs to persist outside of where you may have acquired it, and so. There's tremendous opportunities for innovation in the consumer layer, at the infrastructure layer. You know, when we think about what banking of the future looks like, banking of the future, you know, whether it be for for you know uh, companies or 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 consumers, right? You know, how you store your 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 digital your your digital objects, um, which are which have value in the same way that other forms of property have value and securely do that and not worry about it. Those are, those are lots of problems that still need to be solved. And, and ultimately, um, if we can't have that portability so that these things can exist and be priced in markets outside of just the place you got it, um, we're, we're kind of missing the boat. But um, it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great question. Um, maybe the last question, uh, we'll turn it over to, uh, to Jim. Thanks for joining us. And, and thanks for the question, Sasa. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, it's a great conversation. I was talking earlier to Zach Burks, the founder of Mintable. And one of the things we're talking about is with NFTs, uh, someone had said, someone who also was in the discussion was saying if you tokenize an NFT and create fractional shares, you know, you're getting into securities laws and that, that by definition made it a security. I guess I, I didn't think that was necessarily true. And I was going to use the example you guys were about, uh, you know, uh, short Brooklyn, long Manhattan type of thing. If I were to convert the Empire State Building, let's say, into a fractional share ownership, to me, that's a security and it requires kind of central control and and future monitoring and things. But if I take my LeBron NBA Top Shots card and I were to fractionalize that to 100 things and, you know, 100 people just happen to own it, but there's nobody who has to do anything, to me, that would not necessarily be a security. I don't know if you guys had a, a view on that. And then also about you know, just NFTs in general, it seems like everybody's just dumping a bunch of crap into a you know, label that says NFT. Someone asked me earlier about taking their music portfolio and making NFT, and they said, look, if it's on iTunes, it's good the way it is now. Like just stamping NFT doesn't mean anything. You know, I was wondering if you guys had a view on what constitutes value in an NFT of like Jack Twitter. I mean, Jack Dorsey on Twitter saying, hey, uh, Here's my Twitter for two and a half million. But that to me is a moment in time. There's value to that versus, you know, just taking a music, uh, you know, music portfolio that already exists and, and calling it an NFT. Yeah, I mean, this kind of gets to, um, you know, so, so some of the fundamental thesis that, that Jake, you know, sort of was writing about and starts with, which is how, how do you establish value? And how do you and and how do you achieve price discovery? And you know because there there are going to be this incredible long tail of of, of people providing these, and um, and obviously the current price discovery mechanisms and the marketplaces and everything else you know leave a lot to be desired. But maybe maybe there there was a lot embedded in that question, Jim. I'll, I'll uh, you know, turn it over to to Jake and Sean as well. Uh, well, on the, on the question about securities, that is a question that should be directed to, you know, legal folks. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I don't know if Jeremy or Sean, you guys are have any experience in that space. But I would say, you know, just as a layman's analysis, and again, don't take this as legal advice of any sort, 
Um, I suspect that fractionalization probably wouldn't ideally be a security. I, I think if you applied the Howey test, you might fail the common enterprise prong or you might fail the efforts of others prong. But again, uh, probably up to the courts on that one. Um, and then I'm not sure I fully kind of got the second part of your question, Jim. Do you mind just re restating it? Well, the other one was just on what constitutes, you know, value in an NFT versus people just dumping things with an NFT label. And, and I was giving an example of a musician who said, look, I'm on iTunes right now, you know, but but I'd like to have an NFT because they're hot. And to me, that yeah. doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I was watching the Kings, on Leon, Kings of Leon uh, NFT tokenization the other day, and, you know, um, it's what, like, they, they probably had a bit of a design space, right, of what they could do with an NFT. And so what they chose to do was to say, like, okay, having this NFT is, like, denoting ownership in the, the album, you know, the music files, I guess. Um, and that, to me, is could be an interesting case, but it's probably, like, a lot weaker, uh, at least conceptually, from saying uh, everyone who buys this NFT is entitled to part of the revenue stream of all the album sales you know that that is a much more disruptive structure in my opinion because then it like aligns all these people to essentially promote the album and like benefit from their promotion and it's really a much stronger alignment of incentives and then Jake, what, what i agree I, with you but that that's yeah. then you're getting into the security issue which is what the other part of what i'm saying that's exactly sort of the complexity you get into well i mean i feel like we should solve and explore these problems conceptually first. And then when we get to implementation, that's when we need to worry about jurisdictional kind of securities laws. And, and also these securities laws apply to the United States and blockchain is a global technology. There are many jurisdictions where such schemes would be possible. Um, so clearly we're, we're, we're in a world where, I mean, just the, the, the velocity of, of experimentation and innovation around this is incredible and it's global and, and it just, these things do persist and exist around the world. Things will be you know, certainly raised and challenged legally. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, um, the, the, the experimentation is absolutely worth it. And I mean, this is just a space where, you know, securities laws are just frankly incredibly outdated. They never contemplated these things and we'll have to catch up. But the answer isn't just to slam existing 1933, 1940 securities laws on this. It, it's really to, you know, ultimately, you know, as I've said many times publicly in the past, we need a new definition of what a digital asset is right. and, and what the interactions of it are. And that's that should be a policy goal for the United States. Um, that should be a policy exactly. goal for everyone. Yeah. And I was just going to add, that's absolutely right, Jeremy. And I was going to add that, that when these experiments are performed, you know, they create the basis for uh, and the examples of how to, you know, make adjustments to those laws. So they're very necessary experiments. Yeah. I mean, even if they are performed like outside of the United States. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, look, listen, I, I, we're, um, we're at uh, a little bit over nine o'clock. I just, I, just, I, just on one, one thing real quick here. I'll just yeah, say on the second yeah. part of the, uh, the uh, question, I, I won't, I won't at all try to uh, go into the Howie, Howie test stuff, but just on the content <laughs> question, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of crap, honestly, that is, is, is out there and that's okay. I mean, that's also true in, in, um, a lot of other marketplaces, uh, music and otherwise, um, and uh, the, the experiments are, are helpful to, you know, weed through the crap, but ultimately work on product 
experiences, um, even if they may infringe on uh, on sort of untested waters with with things like these securities issues. Um, they're, they're, they need to happen. I mean, even things like bits and subs in Twitch have have run afoul of discussions around what really are these bits that are in custom emoji that are being sent to streamers. Um, but the experiments and product experiences will continue to um, to iterate. And a lot of it, a lot of the content will look like crap, and and um, the uh, you know the best stuff will rise uh, to the top, but it also splinter into meaningful communities um, that don't have to be. Uh, based on you know millions and millions of devotees to one specific gatekeeper, but can be much more evenly distributed than we've seen in the past. Yeah, totally. Um, awesome, Sean and Jake. This is a really fun conversation. Everyone who joined us uh, tonight, this evening, the morning, whatever it is for you, um, you know, thank, thanks for you know, joining here in the Money Movement Club and and with this uh, with this session. And uh, yeah, Jake and Sean, look forward to keeping the conversations going. And 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 yeah, you know, thanks again for for coming out tonight. Awesome, thanks, Jeremy, for having me. And guys, keep up the great work um, educating about NFTs. Absolutely, we got a lot more thanks. coming. Awesome. All right, cheers, Good night, you guys. Thank yeah. you. Bye bye.